Chapter 9 of The Tribulations of a Chinaman in China. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Tribulations of a Chinaman in China by Jules Verne. Translated by Virginia Champlin. Chapter 9. the conclusion of which, however singular it may be, perhaps will not surprise the reader. Well, Craig Fry, said the Honorable Mr. Bidolph the next day, to the two agents whom he had appointed to watch over the new patron of the centenary. Well, answered Craig, we followed him yesterday during a long walk, which he took in the country around Shanghai, and he certainly did not appear like a man who was thinking of killing himself, added Fry. And when night came, we escorted him as far as his door, which, unfortunately, we could not enter. And this morning? asked Mr. Bidolph. We have heard, answered Craig, that he was as safe and sound as the Palikau Bridge, added Fry. The agents, Craig and Fry, two unmistakable Americans, two cousins in the employ of the centenary, were absolutely one being in two persons, who could not possibly be more thoroughly identified with each other. In fact, they were so identified that the latter invariably finished the sentences that the former began, and vice versa. They had the same brain, thoughts, heart, and stomach, and the same manner of doing everything, and had four hands, arms, and legs united in one body, as it were. In a word, they were Siamese twins, whose connecting ligament must have been severed by an audacious surgeon. "'Then you have not been able to enter the house yet,' said Mr. Bidolph. "'Not,' said Craig. "'Yet,' said Fry. "'It will be difficult, but it must be done, answered the principal agent, for it is important for the centenary to gain not only an enormous premium, but also to save $200,000. Therefore, you will watch over our new patron two months, and perhaps longer, if he renews his policy. There is a servant, said Craig, whom we could use, perhaps, said Fry, and learn all that goes on, continued Craig, in the house at Shanghai, concluded Fry. <clears throat> said Mr. Bidolph. Pull wool over his eyes, lay a trap for him, buy him. He will be moved by the sound of tiles, and tiles you shall have in plenty. Even if you have to exhaust the three thousand polite formulas which comprise Chinese etiquette, why do so? And you will have no cause to regret your trouble. It shall be, began Craig, done answered Fry. For such potent reasons, Craig and Fry tried to get on familiar terms with Soane. Now Soane was a man who could no more resist being enticed by tiles than by the courteous offer of several glasses of American liquor. Craig Fry then learned through Soane all that it was for their interest to know, the sum and substance of which is as follows. Had Kin Fo changed his manner of living in any way whatever? No, unless perhaps he scolded his faithful valet less, 
and gave the scissors a holiday to the advantage of the poor fellow's pigtail, and seldom tickled his shoulders with the rattan. Had Kin Fo any deadly weapon about him? No, for he did not belong to the respectable list of amateurs in the use of murderous instruments. What did he eat at his meals? A few simple dishes, which did not at all resemble the fantastic cooking of the Celestials. At what hour did he rise? At the fifth period, at Cock's Crow, when the horizon was lighted by the first glimmer of dawn. Did he retire early? At the second period, as was always his habit since Soane had been acquainted with him. Did he seem sad, absent-minded, bored, and wearied with life? He was not positively a cheerful man, oh no, yet for several days he seemed to take more interest in the things of this world. Yes, Soane thought him less indifferent, like a man who might be expecting... what? He could not tell. Finally, did his master possess any poisonous substance which he might make use of? He could not have any, for that very morning, by his orders, they had thrown into the Huang Po a dozen little globules which must possess some dangerous quality. In truth, there was nothing in all this of a nature to alarm the principal agent of the centenary. Not at all. For never had the wealthy Kin Fo, whose circumstances no one except Wang was aware of, appeared to enjoy life better. However this may be, Craig and Fry were obliged to continue to inform themselves about all that their patron did, and to follow him in his walks, for it was possible that he might make an attempt on his life away from home. Thus did the two inseparables, and thus did Soane, continue to talk with the more abandoned, because the latter had much to gain in a conversation with such amiable men. It would be going too far to say that the hero of this story valued life more, since he had resolved to rid himself of it, but, as he expected, in the first days at least, he did not want for emotions. He placed Damocles's sword directly over his head, and this sword would fall on it some day. Would it be today or tomorrow, this morning or this evening? On this point there was some doubt, and hence a beating of the heart, which was a new sensation for him. Besides, since he and Wang had given their mutual word, they had seen each other but seldom. The philosopher either left the house more frequently than usual, or he remained shut up in his room. Kin Fo did not go there to see him, for that was not his role, and was not even aware how Wang passed his time, perhaps in preparing a trap for him. A former Taiping must have many means with which to dispatch a man. Kin Fo's curiosity was roused in regard to this, and thus a new element of interest was afforded him. However, master and pupil met almost every day at the same table, and, of course, no allusion was made to their future position of assassin and assassinated. They talked of one thing and another, but not much about anything. Wang, who was more serious than usual, turned away his eyes, which his spectacles but partially concealed, but did not succeed in disguising a constant abstraction. He who was so good-natured and naturally communicative had become taciturn and sad. 
a great eater formerly, like every philosopher who is blessed with a sound stomach, he could not now be tempted by delicate dishes, and the Xinya wine no longer brought him bright dreams. But Kin Fo tried in every way to put him at his ease. He tasted every dish first, and would let nothing be removed from table without trying it. Hence, it followed that he ate more than usual. His blunted palate again experienced sensations, and he relished his dinner, which agreed with him remarkably. It was certain that poison could not be the means chosen by the rebel chieftain's old slaughterer, but his intended victim would try everything. Besides, every facility was afforded Wang to accomplish his deed. The door of Kin Fo's chamber was always left open, and the philosopher could enter it day or night and deal the fatal blow, whether his pupil was awake or asleep. All that Kin Fo asked was that his hand should be swift and strike him to the heart. But his emotions were wearing off, and after the first few nights he was so accustomed to expect his death blow that he slept the sleep of the just and awoke every morning fresh and bright. Things could not continue thus. Then the thought occurred to him that perhaps it was repugnant to Wang to kill him in this house where he had been so hospitably received and he resolved to put him still more at his ease. That was why he was running about the country, seeking isolated roads, and tarrying till the fourth period in the worst neighborhoods in Shanghai, which were the regular resort of cutthroats who committed daily murders in perfect security. He wandered through the dark, narrow streets during the late hours of the night, jostled by drunkards of every nationality, and heard the biscuit vendor shouting his mantu mantu while ringing his bell to warn belated smokers he did not reach his house till daybreak but returned alive safe and sound without having perceived the inseparable craig and fry who followed him continually ready to come to his aid if matters continued thus kin fo would finally become accustomed to this new life and Anui would not fail to gain the ascendancy again. How many hours had already passed without his being able to realize that he was condemned to death? However, one day, the 12th of May, chance brought him an emotion. As he softly entered the philosopher's room, he saw him trying the sharp point of a dagger with the end of his finger and moistening it afterwards in a very suspicious-looking blue glass bottle. Wang did not hear his pupil enter, and, seizing the dagger, he brandished it around several times, as if to assure himself that he had not forgotten how to handle it. Truly, his face was enough to frighten one, for the blood had mounted to his very eyes, which seemed to glare ferociously. He will do it today, said Kin Fo. And he discreetly withdrew, without having been seen or heard, and did not leave his room again that day. The philosopher, however, did not make his appearance. Kin Fo went to bed as usual, and the next day rose as full of life as a healthy man does, and so emotions were wasted on him. This was provoking, and ten days had already passed, though, to be sure, Wang had two months still in which to perform his deed. He is certainly an idler, said Kin Fo. 
I have given him twice as much time as is necessary. And he also feared the former Taiping had become effeminate amid the luxury at Shanghai. From this day, however, Wang seemed to become more anxious and agitated, and went to and fro in the yamen like a man who cannot stay in one place. Kin Fo even observed that he made repeated visits to the ancestor's room, where stood the precious coffin, which had come from Lu Chu. He was delighted to learn from Song that Wang had ordered him to brush, clean, and dust the article in question, in a word, to keep it in readiness. How comfortably master will rest in it, added the faithful servant. It is enough to make you wish to try it. A remark by which Soane obtained a kindly recognition. The 13th, 14th, and 15th of May passed. There was nothing new. Did Wang then intend to let pass the intervening time, and pay his debt only at the moment when due, as is customary with merchants? But in that case there would be no more surprises, and consequently no more emotion for Kin Fo. Something of great significance, however, was imparted to him on the morning of the 15th of May, near the Mao Che, that is, towards six o'clock in the morning. He had a poor night, and on waking was still haunted by a dreadful dream. Prince Ian, the sovereign judge of the Chinese hell, had condemned him not to appear before him till the twelve hundredth moon should rise above the horizon of the celestial empire. A century still to live, a whole century! Kin Fo was now in a very bad humor, for it seemed as if everything was conspiring against him. This is the way that he received Soane, when the latter, as usual, came to assist him in his morning toilet. "'Go to the devil! Go receive ten thousand kicks for your wages, animal!' "'Why, master, go, I tell you!' "'No, no,' replied Soane. "'At least not till I have told you.' "'What?' "'That Mr. Wang—' "'Wang? What has Wang done?' said Kin Fo eagerly, seizing Soane by his braid. "'What has he done?' Master, answered Soane, wriggling like a worm, he ordered us to carry your coffin to the pavilion of long life, and— He did that, cried Kin Fo, whose brow lighted up. Go, Soane, go, my friend, stop, here are ten tiles for you, and be sure that Wang's orders are executed in every particular. Thereupon, Soane, thoroughly amazed, left the room, saying to himself, Really, Master is crazy, but this time he is good-naturedly so. Kin Fo was no longer in doubt. The Taiping meant to kill him in the pavilion of long life, where he himself had determined to die. It was as if he were appointing a rendezvous for him there, and he would not fail to be present. The catastrophe was imminent. How long the day seemed to Kin Fo! The water in the clocks no longer flowed with its wonted speed, and the hands seemed to creep over their dial of jade. Finally, the first period drew nigh, and the sun disappeared below the horizon, and the shadows of night gradually enveloped the yamen. Kin Fo proceeded to the pavilion, which he expected never to leave alive, and lay down on a soft lounge, which seemed to be made for long repose, and waited. Then the memories of his useless existence passed through his mind, his ennui, his disgust, 
all that wealth had not been able to conquer, and all that poverty might have increased. There was only one bright thing in his life which had been unattractive during his opulence, and that was the affection which he felt for the young widow. This sentiment stirred his heart now when it was about to cease to beat. What? Make poor Leu share his misery? Never! The fourth period, which precedes the dawn, and during which it seems as if life everywhere were suspended, passed, causing Kin Fo the strongest emotions. He listened anxiously. His eyes peered into the darkness. He tried to catch the slightest sound, and more than once he thought he heard a door creak as if opened by some cautious hand. No doubt Wang hoped to find him asleep and would kill him as he slept. And now a sort of reaction took place in him. He both feared and desired this visit of the terrible Taiping. The dawn was lighting the zenith in the fifth period, and day was slowly approaching. Suddenly the door was opened. Kin Fo arose, having lived more in this last second than during his whole life. Soane stood before him with a letter in his hand, and simply said, In great haste. Kin Fo had a presentiment. He seized the letter which bore the postmark San Francisco, tore open the envelope, and read it very quickly. Then rushing out of the pavilion of long life, he shouted, Wang! Wang! In a moment, he reached the philosopher's room and flung open the door. Wang was not there. Wang had not slept in the house that night. And when, at Kin Fo's cries, the servants hastened to him and searched the yamen, it became evident that Wang had disappeared without leaving a trace. End of chapter 9 Recording by Tom Barron